Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast. December already, another year has flown by. And I suppose for those of us who do shows, um, it's normally the time of year in December when we get the most number of bookings. Um, Actually, this year has been um, slightly odd for me in the sense that um, every year I do, um, as I suppose most people do, uh, a New Year's Eve gig. And for the last two or three years, I've been working in a very nice hotel uh, in Wiltshire. And unfortunately, the agent who um, normally books me into there and who earlier in the year just confirmed that I'd be back there again this year, accidentally double booked and put a friend of mine in there as well. And uh, the the long and the short of it is that my friends ended up with the booking and I haven't. So um, that was a bit of a blow, I have to admit. So it could be, if nothing happens between now and the end of December, that it will be the first um, year since the year 2000 that I haven't had a booking on New Year's Eve. That's kind of a record, really, for me, I think. So not one I'm particularly proud of or looking forward to. Now, the other thing about uh, shows that happened to me recently was, and this is a situation that I guess must happen to everybody at some time or other, I was booked to do um, a wedding. And um, as you may know, I've mentioned about this before, but I always get my fees at least seven days in advance. And this particular wedding, I hadn't received the payment. And so I do what I always uh, do on these occasions. I, I sent an email through to the, the person whose wedding it was, my contact, and so I was looking forward to coming to the wedding and um, hoped everything was OK and that the invoice was now due. And I look forward to receiving their payment. And it took two or three days before I got a reply. And then when the reply came, it was t- for him to tell me that regrettably um, they would have to um, basically cancel my services because the wedding itself, I wasn't entirely sure, but it sounded like the wedding itself was being called off uh, due to financial uh, problems. And um Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, as you know, I don't actually, because I'm getting my fees in advance, I don't charge any sort of deposit or anything like that. It's um, so rare that a show cancels at the last minute that I think that, to me anyway, it's not worth the hassle. And even if you do have a deposit, um, there are certain circumstances under which I would almost feel obliged to give the deposit back in any case, if the circumstance was such that I felt that the booking was um, being cancelled for reasons that were out of the control of the people concerned. But um, on this particular occasion, of course, so there I've lost actually quite a big fee, less than one week before the event. And in one way, it's easy to feel really annoyed about this. But on the other hand, what is the point in making a fuss about it? Um, I've always felt about this that... um, to sort of gracefully acknowledge the fact that uh, the people have not uh, been able to go ahead. And and usually with these things, they don't do it willfully. Uh, They do it because there are circumstances that have meant that they simply cannot have their event. And on the few occasions when it's happened to me, um, as far as I'm aware, it's never just been a case of, oh, we found somebody cheaper, so we'll book him. So uh, I, I think there are situations where people are very disappointed that they've had to cancel their event and that cancelling you is not something personal, it's just a situation. And I think for us as entertainers, certainly for the way I look at it anyway, is that if that is the situation, if that is what has happened, the last thing they need is for me to go heavy-handed, so, well, I'm sorry, it's less than a week, I want my money. Um, Even if you could get the money out of them, you're probably not going to get the money out of them easily, 
Are you going to take them to court because you have a contract that says they're going to pay you? What does that do to your, especially if it's a local show, to your local reputation? Um, If you were to take somebody to a court to get a fee for a show that they cancelled on. Um, I think in terms of goodwill, it's um, PR, it would be a disaster to go chasing somebody through the courts for a one-off fee payment. And in the big scheme of things, yes, it's disappointing to suddenly not have money you'd hope to get. But does it really, in the long run, make any real difference? I think it probably doesn't. And so I always take the view, well, if that's what's going to happen, then it's it's regrettable. But there we are. Life's like that. You don't always get what you think you deserve or what you should get. And so in my view, uh, it's better to retire gracefully and say, well, I'm really sorry that, uh, you know, the event's not being able to go ahead. If you have another one in the future, I do hope you'll come back to me and we can give it another go and basically leave it at that. But I'd be quite interested to know what, what you guys think. I mean, do you have a situation, if a situation like that happens to you, do you have a way of dealing with it that's different to that? Do you pursue people relentlessly in order to get the money back? Or do you just keep the deposit if you've taken one and say, oh, well, there you go, that's all I'm going to get, So, I'll, but I'll keep it nonetheless? Or do you take a more um, sort of softer approach like I do and just uh, write it off to experience? I was um, on LinkedIn the other day. And uh, LinkedIn being the terribly clever thing it is at making connections between people, it brought up something that it thought I might be interested in. And that was a blog by Craig Petty. And this blog, um, which I then went on and read because it sounded quite interesting, was um, called Why Book a Close-Up Magician? And in it, um, Craig, obviously in order basically to promote himself and, and his sort of agency, Um, had given an advice article for lay people about what they need to look for if they're trying to book a close-up magician for their event. And I started to read this and I thought, well, there's some good points here. But there were a few things there that I was really quite surprised at. Um, He was giving a number of different reasons or different things that lay people should be looking for um, if they were looking to to book a good entertainer. And one of the, the, the things was that look for somebody who's experienced. Well, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere, but nevertheless, um, if you have a very important event, then I agree. If you can find somebody who has a bit of experience, particularly in doing that type of event, then that's great because um, it's more likely to be a success. Although experience simply in itself does not necessarily mean that somebody's going to be very good at what they do. They might do it a lot, but they might do it a lot badly. However, nevertheless, an experienced person is more likely to be, to be able to deliver than perhaps somebody who hasn't got so much experience. Um, he then suggested that one way that you could um, sort of check up on people that you were interested in would be to go to their Facebook page, make sure they make regular posts and make sure they have a thousand plus followers. Because as Craig says, you know, nobody worth their salt would have less than that. Yeah, interesting that that he considered that Facebook was a way of qualifying whether somebody was a good entertainer or not, that the the ability to put up a Facebook page and to put regular posts on it and then to inveigle a lot of people to say they like it indicates that that is a very good entertainer. 
not entirely sure that I uh, agree with that. But um, I take the point that, you know, if you've got a lot of followers, then it could well be that a lot of people are interacting with you from shows and so on. He then suggests that um, you should find somebody specialised. If you want a corporate entertainer, then go with somebody who specialises in corporate. Um, if you want a wedding entertainer, find somebody who does a lot of weddings. Good advice, I think. But then he said, for, but don't book children's entertainers who say that they can do close-up. Really? Um, are we saying that no children's entertainer... The implication was that no children's entertainer could possibly be any good at close-up. Um, well, I would disagree with that um, because I think there are a lot of people out there who can multitask very effectively and they're simply very good entertainers. And whether they're doing cabaret or close-up round tables or whether they're a children's entertainer, they're able to very effectively switch hats and be very good at what they do. So to say that all children's entertainers don't go anywhere near them because they can't entertain adults. I don't think that's true. But then it gets even more interesting. The next two points, lots of reviews and referrals. Well, yes, I absolutely agree with that, that anybody who's worked for a while and who is experienced will hopefully have plenty of referrals. But um, Craig implies, or doesn't imply, he actually says that be careful that if somebody has a lot of referrals that they haven't made them up. I actually can't think of anybody who would go to the, to the extremes of simply making up comments and putting them on their website. Well, I think that's an extraordinary thought that anybody would bother to do that. They would soon get found out if they did. Um, but then he suggests that you should have hundreds, yes, hundreds of video reviews. Now, getting a video review these days with people with phones, camera phones and so on, is not difficult to do. But to have hundreds of them available on your website, that that doesn't sound very practical apart from anything else. And he says that you can't fake a video review. Well, yes, actually, Craig, I think you probably can in the same way that you can you can fake almost anything. You can fake a written one. You can certainly fake a video one. Just get your friends say, oh, it was great. He was a great performer and so on. So I thought that was a very strange one. But the thing that um, that I was most surprised about was that he said that only go with entertainers who are VAT registered because he says £80,000 is the limit uh, at which VAT becomes payable and that any performer worth his salt and who works regularly um, would earn way more than that. And that if they don't, if they're not VAT registered, it means that they, that they don't earn enough at what they do for a living to, to earn over that amount or that they're hiding their earnings. Wow, really? Um, I mean, this makes so many assumptions about um, that £80,000 worth of show income is something to be aimed for. What about there must be so many people out there who are excellent entertainers who have absolutely no intention of doing that many shows? Why would you? You know, you could earn... If, if you earned half that amount, you'd be doing well on shows. You could be an excellent entertainer, but not be anywhere near the, the, the threshold for VAT. I think that's an extraordinary claim. And clearly he's making it because he knows that most people aren't probably VAT registered. And that therefore, if he is, and I'm assuming because he says this, that he is and his business is, 
then it will make him look like he's the one that they should book. So it's a really it's a really interesting article. Uh, you know, it's a nice post. Um, it's got a lot of interesting things in it. But some of the claims I do feel are a bit off the mark or a bit too generalised, perhaps, to be taken totally seriously. And as a little misleading, I think, for people um, who are not into magic and who might not know any different. So anyway, if you if you want to sort of have a read of it, just go on to LinkedIn and um, type in Craig Singh and you'll see that and other posts that he's written. It's, at the very least, it's an interesting read. OK, here's a question. Do you think magicians are narrow-minded? By this, I mean um, magicians who work commercially. Um, I wonder how much uh, stimulus they get from outside of magic itself, because... Um, Magic is an all-absorbing hobby and interest, of course, and there is so much for us to learn uh, and to absorb and to research on almost any topic you like to think of. But it's but it's all magic related. And I think most magicians, certainly the ones that I know, they they don't look outside magic very much for their stimulus. They tend to look just within magic, going to magic lectures and the magic club and this sort of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, it's great. Uh, and it's it's wonderful, particularly if it's if it's simply a hobby. But I think for for people who work in a more in the more sort of wider world a lot, then there is quite a lot to be gained from involving yourself in groups that are nothing to do with magic. Um, and I've mentioned before my involvement with a, an organisation called the Entrepreneur Circle, which is um, a, a large national business help organization which has national events and the reason i'm thinking of it is because i'm going to the latest one in a couple of days after i've recorded this uh, which take they all take place in birmingham and i should be going to that and um, so there's big national events like that and the entrepreneur circle also has local events where we meet with the local businesses once once a month and uh, of an evening and we spend two or three hours going through all sorts of different business related things now, these people that I mix with are nothing to do with magic at all. In fact, in the entrepreneur circle, there are very, very few magicians. I've only ever met one or two. And some of the ones that I've met are no longer members. They've left. Um, so there's hardly anybody that I'm aware of. That's I've been in it for five years, which is basically almost all the time that it's been in existence. And I've got a huge amount from it. It's interesting, it's stimulating, it's taught me a lot about business generally. Uh, and as as a professional, I'm in the business of entertainment. Um, but even as a semi-pro, um, in terms of marketing yourself and all these other things, there's a lot to be learned from non-magic sources of information. And the Entrepreneur Circle has provided that to me and for me. And I had an example the other day with one of our local meetings now, the local, the people who come to the local meetings, we all know each other very well. We all understand each other's businesses. And you've got everything from people who construct quality sort of garden buildings through to um, letting agents, to people who deliver leaflets, uh, to cleaning companies. You know, it's a very wide remit, uh, taxi companies. All these people are doing their own their own thing. And they all know that I'm the magician. And in the course of our meetings, we reveal a lot about what our challenges are and everybody chips in with how they think any problems you've got could be solved. And it's absolutely fascinating to hear what non-magicians say 
about challenges that I have in my magic business, things I'm trying to do. Because they come at it from a completely different angle than magicians do. Magicians, because they tend to think in magic-related terms all the time, they only give you magical solutions to any problem that you might have. Whereas people outside magic, who looking in don't have as much uh, insider knowledge, they just have a completely different take on it. And the other day I, I, I had a challenge that I, uh, something I wanted to do, uh, that I was intending to do next year with my academy, Mark Leverage um, Academy. And, um, and I had this idea and I was talking about it and a comment made by one of the people around the table set me off on a completely different train of thought about an event that I could hold. And as a result of the, the ensuing conversation with all the other people around the table, I ended up in, the, in a few minutes formulating something that was related to what I intended to do, but was at a completely different angle. Now, it's not that a magician couldn't have said this to me, but it would not probably have come as readily um, or as easily as it did from these non-magicians because they were looking at the situation from an outsider's point of view and not from a magical perspective. And they've done this to me several times. Um, they've made suggestions um, for things that uh, I could do to improve this or improve that. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating. I, I really love this this element of interaction that I'm getting from these people. I find it very refreshing in the same way that when I go to this national event uh, in, a, in a couple of days, um, that will no doubt be stimulating too. You're mixing with 800 other people from all over the country, all who have their own businesses. Most of them are relatively small businesses. They're, uh, they're often owner-managed. Uh, and you can relate in the information that we've given and the things, the conversations that you have and the things that are taught from the stage by Nigel Bottrell and his crew are hugely valuable. And uh, it's helped me to actually, if nothing else, get a lot of extra interest out of my businesses and uh, and to, I think, do them better than I might otherwise have done. So if you've never thought about it before, uh, about how being involved in business groups or, or just other groups, artistic groups, whether it be theatre, mime, um, or, or anything like that, painting, you know, it could be anything, but it's sort of kind of related to the arts and to magic, but not specifically in it. You could try that and see whether it gives you a, a stimulus that you can then use uh, in your magic work. At the um, end of every month, I spend quite a bit of time um, preparing all the updates for my eClub Pro pages on my website and also um, in preparing my e-video newsletter. Now, I've been doing an e-video newsletter, which lasts about half an hour per episode. And I've been, been producing these for many years now. And, and I really enjoy doing them. They have a number of different sort of sections in which I talk about um, either issues or tell stories or I, um, I show tricks and moves and, and all this sort of thing. And one of the um, sections in the current e-video newsletter is called Mark's Bookshelf. And what I've been doing is I've been um, taking a, a book off my bookshelf and talking about the book, but also talking about the history that the book has for me personally. Uh, and uh, I've started with books that, for instance, I got when I was first getting into magic, when I was a sort of a young teenager, even slightly before that in the case of the first book. 
Um, and it made me realise that a lot of these books, they do have a kind of a story behind them. Um, a physical object like a book, it has the contents and it enables you to learn magic and, and to perhaps to perform better and have items for your act. But the actual book itself can often have m more meaning um, as I'm discovering, as I'm taking these books. And I suddenly realise, oh, I remember I got this book when I... And then a story will come into my head about where I was in magic at that time and what I was trying to learn and what direction I was trying to go in. And, and a physical book that you can just pull off your bookshelf and then open it up and flick through, it brings back all sorts of, for me anyway, um, sort of emotional feelings. I don't mean I'm going to burst into tears. I mean um, what it was like when I first saw this book, the sort of magic that was in there. How did it make me feel? I really aspired to doing some of these the classic tricks that I was reading about, but I didn't have the props. And I used to, as a result, I started to save my pocket money to, so I could afford to buy some of them because the book had so inspired me to do it. And I do wonder whether um, books are still reasonably popular. Uh, magic books are but um, of course so many more producers now are producing the book simply as downloads not going to have quite the same effect oh do you know you can't turn around and somebody and say do you know i remember when i download bought this download it, it doesn't have quite the same feel as it does when you pull a physical object off the shelf does it that's if you can find the the, the file that you put the download in and to start with i have this occasion that people will buy a download book from me and then about six months later, they'll say, Mark, um, you know, I bought that book off you. I, I can't find it. Could you, can I, could, and, and, the, and the link has expired. Could I have it again so I can download it again? And I can look on their file. I can see they've had the book, but they've clearly put it somewhere. Then they can't find it. I know you can lose a book in your house too, a physical book, but it's less likely. And I do feel that the, the physical book thing does, in a way, mean more because it's a physical object than a download. So I don't know what you feel about that. Do you, do you feel that, do you have books on your shelf that you remember were important because of either what it enabled you to do or they came at a particular moment in your magic career or it was just a, a particularly pertinent gift uh, at a given to you at a vital time, changed the course of the, of the, or the direction of magic that you were going in? I certainly think books have more than, than downloads to offer in that regard. A few days ago, I had a very surprising email. It came completely out of the blue from Ian Keeble. Now, Ian and I have um, known each other since the 1980s. And uh, although we don't see each other very often, um, normally we would meet up at perhaps at a, at a convention or something like that. And Ian would come over and we would often have a really interesting chat. Um, and this email came from Ian because he was working in Devon. He had a series of shows that he was doing. And he wondered if we could get together for a coffee. And um, and so I said, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. So he came round and uh, and we spent three hours having a coffee and then having lunch and, and just putting the magic worlds to rights. And Ian and I are the same age. And uh, so we have a lot of very similar views on the current state of magic and, uh, and of the way that we as individuals are developing and changing as we get older. And one of the topics that we discussed for a while was um, about as you get older, as we obviously are, our audiences are changing as well. Um, older audiences seem to be finding us more acceptable. You know, I mean, certainly for my case, I know I'm getting a lot more bookings for close-up at 
50th, 60th, 70th, 80th birthday parties, for instance. Um, whereas I don't get hardly any for 20th or, or 30th birthday parties. Um, it's probably because I'm at the other end of the age spectrum. I'm not 20. Um, and Ian wondered whether, for instance, weddings, most weddings obviously are for people who are relatively young, perhaps in their 20s and 30s, getting married. Does it make it more difficult for people of our age to, to get wedding bookings? Actually, I don't think it does, because I think weddings are really a mixture of ages, aren't they? All right, the, 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 the couple getting married may be young, and their their close circle of friends will be young. But of course, you've got both families coming together and there'll be aunts and uncles and grandparents, uh, everything from children to granny, in fact. And so I think for weddings, th there isn't really that problem. Um, I, I think long as you're a good entertainer, then um, it almost doesn't matter what age you are because um, there will be all ages at the wedding. But in other types of show, maybe um, there is a difference. For instance, I find, I have found, as I've got older, I found it easier to get trade shows. And, and the reason is because I've reached an age where I look like I have more experience, perhaps. Um, I do genuinely know more about business um, than I ever have. And so I can use that experience to talk relevantly and then talk in a language that business people understand and say, oh, this guy clearly knows what he's talking about because I use the right language and I look old enough to have the experience to be able to deliver what I'm promising. And so I think on, on those occasions, being older is a real benefit. It might not get you so many gigs at, let's say, university dinners or, or university balls or things like that. But there's a lot of work to be had at the other end of the spectrum. And, and Ian and I both agreed that um, people who are retired often are looking for entertainment. Um, they're looking for, for people that they don't feel intimidated by. And as we get nearer to that age of retirement ourselves, we are perceived as being a much safer often, option than perhaps younger people are. So there is a benefit to getting older after all. <laughs> I knew there had to be at least one. You know, I do find it amazing that there are some um, active performers, particularly, uh, let's say, children's entertainers, who don't have their own PA, who don't have their own speakers, amplifier, microphone and so on. Um, I fail to see how you can consistently deliver a really good show if you don't have some form of amplification. Um, I know that some people will, would argue, well, yes, but I have a loud voice, I can project. And I suppose if you're doing small shows, dozen kids at a birthday party, and you're just doing magic, but they're all sitting down and they're quiet, then there could be an argument of saying, well, it's really overkill to have an amplifier. But even when I'm doing a small show, I still use it. And particularly, obviously, if I'm going to be incorporating games in my show, which I usually do... Um, it's amazing even how a small group of children can make a hell of a lot of noise when they are dancing or when they're interacting in some way in a game. And trying to start and stop those games when there's a lot of noise going on can be really difficult without an amplifier. I think there's possibly, um, for some people, a, a fear of using um, a microphone. Um, it's one of those things that possibly initially, they go, oh, it's all this clutter, I've got to take a speaker, the microphone itself, and oh, I can't be bothered with all that. 
and also the expense of it because all right you can get some cheap ones but if you want one that's going to last then you need to get something reasonably decent well, even though you perhaps you don't need to spend sort of top dollar on it but it's good to get something that is robust enough because you're going to be carrying it around um and maybe that puts people off but i i can't see really why you wouldn't want one particularly if you're going to incorporate music in the show or sound effects because you need to put them through something um and if you don't have it you're cutting out all those possibilities too or you have to take a separate music some sort of music player which seems ridiculous when you can put an ipod into into your amplifier and have the job done so uh, I am, as I say, very surprised when I hear of people who don't use um, PAs. Now, if you're one of those and you're thinking, oh, all right, OK, so um, how do I get information about this? Well, one thing you could do is the current issue of Magic Scene. So that's the November one. Uh, issue 65 has got a really good article, which um, the information for which came from um, American Brian Foshi. Um, who runs his own company selling amplifiers and microphones and so on. And uh, I got in contact with him and um, got him to give me a lot of really good, interesting information for people who don't know too much about how to use an amplifier and what type to get and what are the things to look for. So if you're in that position, um, get a copy of the, of the latest issue of Magic Scene and, and give it a look. I think you find it's very interesting um, and it will help you to make a decision about whether it's something that you should invest in. Well, there we are. That's another podcast finished. Thank you so much for listening. Listen, I hope you have, a, if you're a working show, I hope you have plenty of shows in the book and that they all go really well and that you stay healthy, your voice holds out and that you have a good time. Uh, for those of you not working, but who nevertheless um, are gonna, looking forward to enjoying Christmas, have a great Christmas and I will look forward to being back here with the next podcast in January. Bye for now. <laughs>